This is our last week in the Gospel of John. I'm going to use a John story next week, but I'm not so much going to preach on it as I'm going to jump off it. You'll see. Anyway, this is our last Sunday in the Gospel of John, the very end of the book. And as we wrap it up, I want to remind you of some of the themes that we have seen the whole way through. The first is that Jesus is God and shows us exactly what God is like. Amen. To do God's will is to trust Jesus. And trusting Jesus leads us into transcendent life, both now and in whatever happens after death. Transcendent life is abundant life. God's grace is always extravagant to the point of being ridiculous. Which is good to know because trusting Jesus is active and relational. We don't do it in our heads. We do it with our bodies in the world, even when it's risky. And the people who have the hardest time trusting Jesus are usually the people who have the most privilege because they have the greatest interest in keeping the system the way it is because it benefits them, I should say this morning, because it benefits us. But the people who are willing to risk, to value God's kingdom more than they value their possessions and their power and their privilege, those people will experience resurrection power. And their personal stories, their testimonies, I have seen the Lord, will change the world and lead others to also trust Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be here in the flesh because we are here. The followers of Jesus are Jesus in the world the way that Jesus was God in the world. That's one way to summarize the Gospel of John. So now the final story. This is the second half of last week's story. And if you remember, the disciples were fishing, and doing what Jesus tells them causes those disciples to catch a ridiculously abundant number of fish. And that miracle leads them into deeper relationship with Jesus as they accept his invitation to breakfast on the beach. So we pick the story back up in verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Which is not clear. Do you love me more than these people love me, or do you love me more than you love these people? Either way. Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and you walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. In our tradition, Peter dies as a martyr. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was the one who'd leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper and asked him, Lord, who is going to betray you? Just so we know for sure who we're talking about. Peter saw this disciple and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make to you? You must follow me. Therefore, the word spread among the brothers and sisters that this disciple wouldn't die. However, Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make to you? This is so funny to me. Jesus tells Peter, follow me. And Peter says, oh, but what about that guy? And Jesus says, if I want him to live forever, what do you care? You follow me. And the community of Jesus followers does not pay attention to the fact that Jesus says, follow me. They get fixated on that first statement. And this whole rumor starts about what's going to happen to this guy. And that's what we still talk about with this story. Is whether or not the disciple whom Jesus loved, whoever that is, whether he actually died or was carried up to heaven or is still alive somewhere. That wasn't the point of the statement. The point of the statement was Jesus saying to Peter, who cares what I'm asking someone else to do? I'm asking you to follow me. This is the disciple who testifies concerning these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. This is the very end of the book. Jesus did many other things as well. If all of them were recorded, I imagine the world itself wouldn't have enough room for the scrolls that would be written. These are the words of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Jesus calls us to follow him. To follow him because we trust him. To follow him actively with our bodies in the world, not to follow him on Instagram. Jesus calls us to be participants and not spectators as the kingdom breaks into the world. On the night before Jesus died, Peter denied three times that he was a follower of Jesus. And in this story, Jesus gives him the opportunity to affirm three times that he does love Jesus. But that affirmation of Peter's love brings a direction from Jesus. Take care of my people. Lead my community. And finally, Jesus gives Peter the same invitation slash command that he gave at the very beginning of the gospel when Jesus and Peter first met. Follow me. But now Peter knows what that means. To follow Jesus, to love Jesus, is to love Jesus' community.
We cannot love Jesus without loving the community of Jesus followers. To love Jesus is to love the church in all of its beauty and in all of its mess. Because the church is not now and never has been a building. The church is now and always has been a deeply beautiful and deeply messy community of flesh and blood human beings who are trying to follow Jesus by loving one another. That is the only command that Jesus gives in this gospel. Love one another as I have loved you. So if trusting Jesus is an action and not a thought or a feeling, and if loving Jesus means loving the church, we all have to periodically ask ourselves if our lives bear out the love and trust for Jesus that we profess. God loves the world and so do we, and the church is our training ground and our comrades for loving the world. We love here first. And I know that some people really struggle with that. Let me tell you what I see as a pastor. Some people do not actively participate in the life of the faith community because they don't know that they're needed or they don't know what to do. There's a sociological phenomenon called the bystander effect which means that the more people who show up, the less individual responsibility anyone feels. If you come and things look like they're getting done, you figure we don't need you. Let me tell you, we need you. There are plenty of things that you can do here that will make a difference for the other people who gather here to try to follow Jesus. With 15 minutes a month, you could be a greeter and shape the first impression that people have of Zion every time the doors are open. 15 minutes a month. With 30 minutes a month, you can help set up our hospitality and clean up after the service. With an hour a month, you can share spiritual tools for abundant life with men and women in the Delaware County Jail. An hour a month. With an hour and a half, you can teach Sunday school and help our kids grow in a faith that is progressive, inclusive, humble, bold, and loving. With two hours a month, you can run the technology that makes our community globally accessible. No one should do everything, and everyone can do something. There are other people who don't actively participate in the life of the church because they have been wounded. Sometimes the wound has nothing to do with the church directly. People are just struggling. Something's going on in their life and they're hurting. In that case, I encourage you, I urge you, you're probably not here, you're hopefully listening at home. I urge you to come to church and let the community love you back to health. If you have doubts, bring them. Voice them. If you have questions, bring them. Ask them. It's okay. You are okay. 
And if you don't feel okay now, come to church and the community of Jesus will surround you and care for you as you get okay. That's what the church is for. Sometimes the wound does have to do with church. Because church is people, and sometimes we're awful. It could be theological baggage. You were taught something that was hurtful. It could be that you were really, actually, physically hurt in the church. It could be that you weren't valued. That people just wanted you to show up and be quiet and give your money and leave. Or it could be that you hesitate to be actively involved in church now because it was overwhelming in the past. Maybe the expectation you experienced was that you would do everything. That you would say yes to everything. That you would sacrifice your family and your hobbies and your rest And now you don't even want to walk through the doors every week, much less participate. God sees those wounds. God did not cause them. And God wants to heal them. Because our past pain should not rob us of future joy. I have noticed that humans are sometimes like pendulums. And the further that we have been pulled in one direction, when we are released from that, we tend to go real far in the other direction. The problem is that any extreme is usually unhealthy in some way. And eventually we want to swing back to a healthy and sustainable middle. Often I have seen and experienced for myself, because I have been in this place, that the willingness to get back was part of the healing process. I personally rarely feel ready for the thing that I know is right. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? My soul wants to, but I hesitate. Man, I'm touching a nerve this morning. I can feel it. Can you feel it? Yeah. Some of you can really feel it. Jesus calls us to follow him. He gives us time and space for the healing of wounds, but the calling doesn't go away. Follow me, he says. Don't give up on Jesus, because he has not given up on you. Resurrection means that something good is always possible. And the end of that last chapter is not the end of your story. Jesus is better than anything that has happened in the past. Follow him. Trust him. Love him by loving his people. Put down roots in a faith community. Be a participant and not just a spectator. Because meaning happens in the doing. Follow Jesus. Not on Instagram. 
but with our daily living. Amen. I would like to do something a little different during our reflection time this morning. Uh, this, I can only preach every week what the Spirit gives me. I don't always like what the Spirit gives me. I suspect that there are some wounds here, all different kinds of wounds, and that the best way to be the church together would be to pray for each other. And I'm curious, who here might say that you have been wounded in some way that has made it hard for you to participate in church at some point, ever? You've been wounded in some way that, wow, yep, that's kind of what I expected, yeah. Who among you might say that that wound maybe not has healed all the way, but is in the process of healing, that you feel at least maybe you've turned a corner in that? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Could be that it happened a long time ago and you're pretty much over it, but you haven't forgotten it. Who would say they're still feeling that wound? I mean, you're here, so that's pretty significant. You feel a lot of ambivalence towards attending every week, much less getting involved. I imagine that there are a lot of people online who are raising their hand for that one, and I see you. We love you. We know you. I would like to pray for you this morning, online and here in the room, if you want that. And I would like for those of us who have experienced healing to pray for you too. If you still feel like there is a wound that is causing you pain, I invite you to actually come up and we're going to pray. I will meet you. We're not going to do anything weird. I'm just going to pray for you. I just want you to feel the sense of being in community. There's no shame in being wounded. You didn't do anything wrong. You can come up here with me. You can face Jesus. You don't have to face the congregation. If you would like to be prayed for this morning, you don't have to look at people. But I invite you to come forward. We're just going to take some time together. If you would like some prayer for that. Because that wound is still there. still hurts, still keeping you from doing the things that you feel called to do. Yep, plenty of room. You can face Jesus. If you feel like some of that wound has been healed, would you come forward and find somebody to pray for? You can just put a hand on a shoulder. I don't want anybody to be alone this morning. So come on forward. Maybe you don't feel like you've got a wound that's been healed, but you want to pray for somebody. Come on up. And if somebody's facing forward, put a hand on their shoulder. Make sure nobody's alone. Friends who feel like you have been wounded, I would like to anoint you. This morning, oil has always been a symbol of healing. God's presence and
God's love. If that's something that you would like, would you just put your hand out? And as I pray, I'm just going to make a little cross of oil on your palm as we pray for you. Friends who are up here, let's pray. Friends who are sitting in the congregation, let's pray. so much damage to each other. And it's even worse when we do it in your name. We trust that you are a healer, that the power of your cross
we step out in the ways that you have called us to do into the world that we love. Hug somebody.